everyone, and welcome to another special edition of VLGA Connect. And this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for quite some time. I'm very pleased to welcome to the program today Terry Moran from the Centre for Policy Development, well known around government circles, local government included. Terry, hello and welcome to the program. Hi, Chris, and thanks for inviting me to join you. Great to speak with you uh, from wherever you are in lockdown, as the rest of us are, as we uh, as we record this, certainly in, in Victoria. Um, Terry, firstly, just a bit of background about the Centre for Policy Development. What is it? What does it do? What's your role? Well, uh, about seven years ago, John Menager, who'd started up um, uh, a newsletter still running called Pearls and Irritations, which publishes daily interesting articles that would irritate a lot of people in Canberra, but obviously uh, articles that also convey a great sense of truth about where right. our society is going. And he had the idea of continuing with that, but setting up a think tank. So he worked with a group of people in Sydney to do that. And it became the Centre for Policy Development. No government money uh, from any source, um, entirely dependent upon largely philanthropic contributions. And um, uh, they um, had a wonderful uh, initial CEO. And then when she moved on, it happened that Travis McLeod was coming back from Oxford, where he'd done his Rhodes PhD. And uh, he, he agreed to take over as CEO. And shortly after that, he and the then chairman approached me to come on board as the chair of the Centre for Policy Development. So I think I've been there for about six years or so. Right. And uh, in that time, uh, we've grown exponentially, still with virtually no government support, a little bit in some of the overseas stuff. And uh, we try to look at the issues that are affecting ordinary Australians and Australian communities and how they can be fixed. So at the moment, we're doing a major piece of work on early childhood development, for example. Uh -huh. um, a little, well, what would it be? Three years ago, we had a lot of work on employment services, which for the disadvantaged simply don't work. So many topics, but they're just two examples of what we do. And we do it on the basis of not uh, shouting at people or ramming a view down their throat. We do it under our tagline, which is create, connect, convince. So we tend to get people together to work through um, such information as we've got and such ideas that we've got in a particular area and help uh, reach some consensus amongst those participating on what to do. A good example of that, and I won't draw out uh, any detail of our work, is what we did on climate change, where Travis being a a lawyer um, uh, by training uh, and many other things, but he he saw uh, an opportunity to approach climate change from the direction of directors' responsibilities to manage risk in a corporation. And uh, so we worked with one of the major law firms to commission a QC to do a brief. And we had roundtables, which is how we operate. And suddenly, our business started to realise that they were carrying a very significant exposure if they just didn't do anything. And that, that made a contribution to a shift in corporate attitudes over the last five years or so. And I think it'd be fair to say that um, 
that shift wouldn't have occurred unless we'd found a way to to tap into this issue of well what are directors responsible for and along the way we found that um, the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia and Bank of England agreed with us and then similar authorities in America agreed with us and so this is this is um, been timely and it's also found sympathetic audiences in other countries. I was going to ask you about that last part, the create and the connect, I guess, is the where you do the hard yards, but how do you measure the convince part? Well, whether people change what they do. So um, we managed to convince uh, people from the RBA, ASIC and APRA at the most senior levels about mm. the latent risk that directors and corporations were following. And we also managed to convince many people in business of this, including people from the BCA and so forth. And so uh, thing, things started to move from there. So Terry, where does local government fit into the work that you do and, and the public sector more broadly, I guess? Well, um, I could go on for a long time about this, Chris. Um, suffice to say that the Commonwealth Public Service in the social policy area is no longer covering itself with glory. Think about the debacle of robo-debts. Think about the problems of rolling out um, vaccines mm. to deal with COVID-19. Uh, but there are many other examples of this. And by and large, the, uh, the social policy departments like health and education uh, have become um, contracting agents for government to get others, usually in the private sector, to deliver services. And basically, it hasn't worked very well. Mm. And so we've started to turn over the rocks in a number of areas, looking at services that are not working properly. Employment services, particularly for the disadvantaged, is an example of that. And then we started to say, well, why don't we try out local government in this respect? So again, we got some philanthropic support from the Meyer Foundation and the Vincent Fairfax Family Foundation to design some trials of a different approach to working at the local level on finding jobs for refugees coming into Australia. It's a distinctive group and they were often waiting five years to get a job. And we worked with Wyndham Council to the west of Melbourne. Mm -hmm and a fabulous CEO and with great success found that Wyndham, as we hoped, could tap local networks, including of employers, but also other service deliverers and tie it all together and start to find jobs for these people and if necessary, training. And, and so we think that this demonstrates that if local government, a local government is well led, there's no stopping them when it comes to dealing with some of the pressing issues in our society. So the work that we haven't done to this point, but might one day do, is, well, if we now know that local government, whether it's really big like Wyndham or small like some local governments outside Melbourne tend to be, yeah. uh, can local government uh, be asked to take more responsibility for delivering services under contract with the Commonwealth or the state government. And the whole aim is to get effective service delivery responsible, responsive rather to local communities and able to tap 
the networks that are out there, which, uh, frankly, local government tends to know about because those networks yield pressures on them to do things. But to be mm. honest, people in the castles of Canberra simply have no comprehension of. Um, I, I want to come back to that point. You mentioned Wyndham and the CEO, I assume, at the time you were working with was the wonderful Kelly Grigsby, who's yep. now the CEO at Hobart, as you may or may not be aware, um, well known to us, of course. Um, why is that? That uh, Well, let's take the vaccine rollout as an example. There's been some, some um, um, fairly public statements made by peak bodies that um, the government just simply isn't recognising the capacity at the local government level to assist. We do immunisation. We've done it for many years. It's a very tried and true system. Why are they trying to reinvent the wheel and not recognising what's there at the local level, do you think? There's an underlying lack of faith at the Commonwealth government level in the instruments of government. They believe that by definition, they have to be ineffective and inefficient. But this has not been adequately demonstrated to be the case by any of the, um, the policy advising bodies like the Productivity Commission. It's an ideological statement not an assessment of reality. We reject mm. it as an ideological statement and we say that in the case of local government, it's capable of getting focused and doing things. So if you take the vaccination issue, local government's got staff that work in the health, broadly health area, public health area. They've got lots of facilities. They've got access into local networks of doctors and nurses and hospitals and all that sort of stuff. So why wouldn't you, if you were the Commonwealth government, at least have tried contracts with some of the local government entities to deliver vaccines under prescribed uh, conditions to people out there in the community? Um, local government, I'm convinced now, given our experience at Wyndham, would without doubt be able to do it. But more than that, They've got the link into local communities and so they know where's a good place to put the um, the testing stations for, for people to be tested and know how to get everybody lined up uh, to get their jabs. Now the mm -hmm. Victorian government uh, did a lot of that and, and stepped in where the Commonwealth was failing in delivering uh, vaccinations to some groups at the local community for example, local community level, for example, people working in aged care facilities. And um, I just think it's, um, it's in Canberra, it's a combination. I can say this having been secretary of the prime minister's department and led a major review of the public service when I was there. There's mm -hmm. a combination of hubris, ideological conviction that the market will always get you the best result and ignorance of what is possible mm. at the local level. Um, we, we should point out that there are some examples, the few and far between, of councils, and Wyndham is, is one where they've partnered with GPs to set up local vaccination clinics. They've done that despite the Commonwealth, um, as, as I said, and a couple of other examples of, of local government facilities being, being used, but it's certainly not uh, the norm, Terry. The Commonwealth yes, paid millions of dollars to a very worthy firm, McKinsey's, to design yeah. an approach to making the vaccines available. And all they did as a result of that was look for contractors in the private sector that they could engage. 
And then it turned out that most of the contractors were having difficulties finding sufficient professional staff to do the work. Go figure. You you gave the John Cain lecture almost two years ago now about the three levels of government working together. You found that the system over time has led to a loss of accountability and less engagement with local communities. And you argue that the answer is a concept called subsidiarity. Can you just explain in layman's terms what that means? Uh, subsidiarity is a concept out of the uh, European Union. And it basically says that services should be delivered at the lowest possible level within a given democracy, provided that competence is available and accountability is available. And um, uh, it also assumes that the that the arms of government, in this case, local government, can do a better job of delivering services than your typical company set up to contract for services. And the reason for that is that in the public sector, you tend to have a different set of values and a different culture to what you find in the private sector. Mm. So the private sector will always be on on the lookout for maximization of profit. That's entirely understandable. That's what they do. But people in the public sector will typically be trying to solve the problems of real people in front of them on the ground, even if the um, even if the range of issues to be dealt with is just a little bit sort of beyond the original intention. Now, mm. the concept of doing this is an old one in Australia. The person who first put it on um, on the table was Nugget Coombs through his Royal Commission into Australian Government Administration in the 70s. And he actually managed to set up a couple of pilots of this approach, one of them in Melbourne. I think it might have been in Coburg, but I could be wrong. And of course, it was all set aside subsequently um, because it was very hard for Canberra to come to terms with. And it looked as if it was encroaching upon the prerogatives, authority and reach of Canberra and the Australian Public Service. Mm. So I, I, I've been arguing that subsidiarity is important because uh, if, the, if the lessons from Europe are an example, and if the few examples of trying things of that sort in Australia can be believed, and I do believe them, you basically get a far better result for the citizens. And there's no evidence that it's any less efficient than doing it through contracted service delivery organisations in the private sector. Your organisation has been tracking uh, attitudes towards our democratic institutions for some time. What have you seen in this last 12, 18 month period as, you know, some would argue politics has potentially gotten in the way of uh, policy driven decisions? Uh, you know, the very recent different responses to COVID outbreaks would be exhibit A, I'd suggest. Are people changing their views about our democratic institutions as a result? Well, I think so. Um... Uh, there, are, there are surveys that look at different things. So who do you trust? And typically, the most trusted institutions in our society are established instruments of government like the Reserve Bank of Australia or even the ABC. And mm -hmm. within government, there have been surveys that show local government is somewhat more um, trusted 
by the community than state government and Commonwealth government. Yeah. With the virus, uh, for a while, trust in the federal government went right up and now it's coming right down because the promises made were seen by many in the community as not being delivered on. Now, it, it sometimes happens. It's, it's inevitable that things go wrong in government and you can't quite get it to work out in the way that you hoped. But if a lot of the vaccine rollout had actually been done through local government at the local level, that is a way of involving people who are trusted at the local level and can explain credibly to the community why there are holdups or problems. And that's what's missing. Terry, we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, just curious to know, what are you working on now? What can we expect to see coming out of the Centre for Policy Development in the near future? Well, we're doing a major three-year project on early childhood development and um, how it might be improved to both bring about economic improvement and social improvement. And we're doing it with um, all sorts of groups being involved in that Create, Connect, Convince model that I mentioned, mm. and with substantial support from the Mindaroo Foundation in Perth. And I'm reasonably hopeful that uh, both sides of politics will see real value in uh, improving early childhood development. And in doing that, I'm hoping that they'll pay some heed to the results of the work that we're doing. I think we'd be really interested to talk to you further about that once that piece of work is done, because as you know, local government plays a very important role in, in early childhood development as well. Terry, it's been great to speak with you. I, I think we could possibly talk all day, but we do need to uh, put, a, put a limit on these things. Um, thank you very much for sharing that with us and all the very best to you. Thanks, Chris. See you soon. It's been my pleasure today to speak with Terry Moran, Chairperson of the Centre for Policy Development. You can find out more about the Centre's work by visiting their website at cpd.org.au. Thanks for your company. I'll see you again very soon for another edition of VLGA Connect. Mm -hmm.